Welcome to the European Greens podcast, where we talk about the way forward to a greener and fairer Europe, together with green leaders and activists. The European Greens are a European political party that brings together national parties sharing the same green values, like democracy, feminism, support of LGBTQ+, and climate action. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, and together, let's green our future. Welcome everyone to this new episode of Green Talking Heads, our European Greens podcast that this time we record in Copenhagen at our big congress with the biggest ministerial meeting of ministers in Europe that we ever had. And uh, we are very happy to have Anne Hürmann with us, Minister of State at the German Federal Foreign Office and you're in charge of European Affairs and Climate. It's very nice to have you here. Yeah, hi. For having me. <laughs> It's a pleasure. Um, I assume that most people follow German politics within the Green family, actually, but maybe you can start to give us a little bit of context and background about the German political context when you entered government as Greens and how is it going at the moment? Sure. Yeah, we are um, almost one year in government now. Uh, we um, are in a coalition with the Social Democrats and the Liberal Party. We have about uh, 15% uh, and that's... Um, Uh, we have uh, four ministers, and uh, one of them is the Minister for Foreign Affairs, uh, Anna-Lena Baerbock, and I'm, I'm her deputy. Perfect. And um, your portfolio also shows you did uh, a few new things in the mm -hmm. Foreign Office. Maybe you can talk about your approach um, when Anna-Lena took office. What exactly. did you restructure? Why did you put climate and European affairs together? Exactly. So we, we moved the whole international climate um, policies to the Foreign Office um, because we want to, um, first of all, at the international climate negotiations or the COP conferences, we want to really put Germany's full force of foreign um, uh, foreign politics um, behind it. And, and thus, we, we moved it from the Ministry of Environment to the, the Foreign Affairs Ministry. And we also want to mainstream climate issues throughout our foreign policy and reduce the climate footprint of our embassies and, and residencies around the world so that we really um, prioritize this issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and um, Annalena was at the COP, and I think generally it was super well perceived mm -hmm. that she was there. Maybe you can, uh, again, refer a little bit and tell us how this idea worked out when you were at the COP. Yeah, I think uh, it worked out uh, really well. Uh, Annalena was there for, for a week almost um, and negotiated on behalf of the EU the, the critical part of uh, mitigation. So how do we reduce, actually, um, greenhouse gas emissions and... Uh, we could really see, uh, you know, every morning at the COP there are the there's the meeting of the um, of the EU delegation present, and there were many green ministers present, and uh, or at least uh, uh, ministers from governments with green participation, and that really helped us to shape a very very ambitious uh, position of the Commission, also the support from the European Parliament, and therefore the EU is really a very progressive force at this um, COP. And we managed to really push a lot for the mitigation agenda. Unfortunately, um, other countries blocked um, progress here, particularly, for example, when it came to a phase out of um, all fossil fuels. I think it's uh, really important that to, uh, the next COP we even uh, generate even more momentum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what we heard from all green ministers, unsurprisingly, that climate is really top priority mm -hmm. and on top of the agenda. And it's uh, yeah really cool that you basically integrated it in the foreign uh, affairs. Um, 
maybe, I mean, you also cover the general European yes. topics, like the meta debate that everyone is always super interested in, the future of Europe. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe you can talk a little bit about what your position is, what you're pushing for. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I'm, I'm representing Germany and the General Affairs Council. And unfortunately, I'm a bit lonely there from a green perspective because I'm the only uh, green um, politician present in the General Affairs Council. And the General Affairs Council basically is the council that deals with all these Yeah, I would say more institutional matters of the EU. So the question of how do we want to develop our institutions further? Conference on the Future of Europe was the task of the General Affairs Council. How do we uh, protect the rule of law? Right, That's critically the Article 7 proceedings are in our council. And also the enlargement portfolio is, is there. And we prepare the European Council. And that is even more important for me to be present there than in the General Affairs Council, because also in the in the European Council, unfortunately, we don't have a green representation um, uh, at the moment. So we've, we've never had had that. And so it's important for us to to get also an input um, in these debates. And it's really very clear that also there, basically, for every preparation meeting of the European Council, I have to emphasize again that when we talk about energy, we need to talk about, yes, energy security, yes, reducing energy prices, but also about achieving our climate goals and actually uh, reducing energy consumption and building up renewables. Mm. Yeah, so I clearly hear it would uh, be better to have even more green yes, government to support you. Much better. But um, as it is now, uh, yeah, you have to uh, fight alone. But how do you manage to basically achieve to implement green policies, our green goals, if you're alone there? <laughs> Well, luckily, uh, in a lot of these institutional matters, we have a lot of like-minded countries. So, of course, we always try to organize with like-minded. And, um, for example, in the when it came to the discussion about the Conference on the Future of Europe, uh, you probably all heard there was a very strong opposition in the Council to actually achieving um, something tangible out of this conference, particularly when it comes to institutional reform and calling for a convention. So led by Sweden, uh, the skeptics um, had organized uh, a group of 13 member states, so quite quite big. And I basically organized the, the, uh, the progressive group, the group of those countries that uh, want to see uh, institutional development in the EU happening, the EU moving closer together, like we say in the treaties, ever closer union, right? So I organized a group of at least six countries uh, where we said, no, we, we, we need to be open for institutional reform. And yeah, so that, that worked, even though uh, the other ministers that I was working with uh, were not from the, um, uh, from the Green Party, but they shared this ambition at least. And also when it comes now to um, uh, reducing the right to veto, we're organizing a like-minded group that is actually even bigger, where even... Uh, until at least until the last elections we had Sweden on board for example uh, hopefully now there's a new Swedish government as well so I hope we can soon move to actually use the pastoral clauses to 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 do something here and um, also now implication of uh, implementation of the rule of law and the conditionality mechanism with Hungary where we're working a lot with like-minded groups Benelux countries are always very much on our side um, and uh, we try to achieve progress here. Yeah, uh, there's a lot on your plate yes. and um, a lot of different alliances you have to build in order to push them through. What would you say are the biggest barriers to, let's say, a progressive European policy? Um, well, conservatism. 
well, yeah, well, <laughs> and 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 those governments blocking it, and and particularly those saying, oh, you know, we've we've never done it that way. We cannot, it cannot be done, mm -hmm. right? So I, I I still I still don't get you know, and in, in every also bilateral conversation that I have, I. I I mentioned climate issues, for ex for example. Even though I'm, I have a bilateral meeting with somebody who's a member of of the General Affairs Council and doesn't directly deal with with climate issues because it's just such a fundamental issue for our future. And uh, yeah, I still get these these um, prejudices, for example, that with renewables uh, you cannot power uh, uh, industries, right? Mm -hmm. And and it's actually, it's it's the opposite. If we don't move on with this transition fast enough, I mean, if we look to the US now with the Inflation Reduction Act, um, then they, they clearly show that that they change course. And, and if we don't move quick enough, then uh, EU companies won't be competitive anymore mm. if they don't manage to do the transition to green and to green hydrogen and, and renewables. So... So we really have to push this, and and um, and that's something that I, that I really emphasize. Mm. Yeah, how do you experience the the current debate on the let's say state of the European Union, or how do we develop a bit more resilience? Also, the question you mentioned, inflation act, the question of more resilient supply chains. Basically, what what do you think is where where are we in the debate, and where are we as Greens? Let's say. Well. There is um, room for improvement <laughs> um, because the EU, I think many people in the EU have understood the challenge by now that we need, um, that we are um, in, a, in a global context where we're being challenged by autocracies like Russia, like China, and that we need to become more resilient. I think this analysis is there, but now the action needs to follow. And I think this action uh, needs to come um, in um, in three ways. One is that we need to um, make sure that we speak with one voice on the international in the international arena. That we also pay more attention to to foreign policy matters and all all those. Uh, so remove the veto and 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 put more resources and attention to these issues. The second. We need to really make sure that critical industries are stronger in Europe, uh, and we've been talking about this for a while now, also during the the pandemic. But not not enough has been happening. So, so here with the Chips Act, we we had a start, but I think really we need to actually do more also together at the European level. And then thirdly, um, we need to um, address the climate crisis in everything we do, mm -hmm. uh, and this is this is something. Uh, that uh, that where we as as EU have a special responsibility, I think, as historically uh, the largest um, uh, polluters, um, but also where a lot of potential lies for exactly this thing of of becoming more independent from autocracies, also when it comes to energy supply, for example. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if you had uh, one wish, what you could change politically on the European level to push through more of the green agenda, what would it be? Remove the veto. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, uh, my last question already here in Copenhagen. How did you experience the exchange with everyone else? So, was it fruitful for you? Was it helpful? Um, did it uh, enrich your further work? <laughs> yes, actually, I. Um... Uh, it was until now a really amazing 
to first to meet uh, other Greens in government on Friday. It was really a nice exchange and we saw that we have many issues in common. We, I think, also found some connections to work more together in the future. Um, and then um, I had an amazing uh, panel on um, enlargement in Western Balkans with um, many people also from the region. And we developed really some new ideas and new thinking also. And, and this is something that, you know, sometimes when you when you are in government and you deal a lot with other people in government, then it's always same, same, you know, the positions that you, you know, you meet somebody from another country and you already know what they're going to tell you, right? Because they have their position, they've had it for a while. And so it's always, for me, it's always very inspirational to meet people from civil society, from academia, also from the party that actually come with fresh ideas. So this was really, really cool. And yeah, and also actually I was at the first um, EGP council in 2004 <laughs> in Rome. Uh, and I think I haven't really been at one in between. Wow. So this, uh, because I, uh, because of a vote in the parliament, I couldn't make it to, to Riga. So yeah, so I'm really happy to be here and to see sort of how this baby has grown over, uh, over those almost does. 20 yeah. years. Yeah. So it's really cool. I want cool. to say welcome back. Yeah, it's nice <laughs> to have you back. Um, and um, yeah, it was very interesting talking to you about the general European debate. Yeah. Um, thanks again. And I still wish you uh, nice time here in Copenhagen. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. Um, and we just heard the keynote of Pekka Havisto, and we have the pleasure of having him here in the podcast, who has been serving as the Minister of Foreign Affairs in Finland since 2019 and before for development and the environment and international development. But you've also been the party leader of the Greens in Finland. Welcome. Thank it's a you. pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Um, and I would like to first ask you that you give a little bit of a political context, the background of Greens and government in Finland. So where are we at the moment? The first time actually Greens were elected to the Finnish parliament 1983. I think we were a little bit ahead of the German Greens <laughs> at that time, some months, but uh, at the same rhythm. And then uh, 1995, first time in the government. And we have been in different kind of government coalitions. We had that 1995 government was a rainbow government, so to say, from the left-wing to conservatives. Then we have been in a six-pack government where we have uh, all these parties plus the Christian Democrats. And then now we have uh, five uh, parties again in Finland in the government. Uh, I would say it's a red-green center government. And and, uh, uh, and we have also been actually in a bourgeois government one time. So we have we have tested it all. And, and But mm-hmm. of course, it's very important that in the government negotiations, you, you make very exact demands and so forth. But the only disadvantage is that in four years' time, which is the parliamentary period, so many things happened, like now COVID-19, uh, Russian aggression against Ukraine, which you cannot plan in the government program. Uh, but but we have a good experience being in a government, but of course, uh, time to time, you fall in the opposition as well. Mm. Yeah, definitely we can say that among the Green parties, you are among the most experienced ones of being in government. Um, so how what, what were your main goals when entering this government? So what do you wanted to achieve? Uh, Actually, this has been a climate government. Mm-hmm. When, when we, uh, 2019, formed the government, it was clear that uh, we have to make a dramatic change on our behavior vis-a-vis the, the CO2 emissions and, and our our goal uh, 
which was then agreed by others was to have a climate neutral Finland by 2035. And it's, it's quite ambitious goal because it's uh, covering, of course, traffic and industries and, and the housing and, and all sectors have to be in this, uh, this uh, climate action, action together. And we were supported very much by, by the youth and the movement of the young people who were uh, every day at the Parliament House Fridays for the Future movement. And it was actually very, uh, it was very good because they really influenced in the government program as well by the demonstrations. I asked from these young kids that, uh, what are your teachers saying that you are here every Friday? And then they say that in front of the class, they say, no, 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 you should be in school. But behind the corner, they said, good, that the young, young people are active. And yeah. you, are, you are coming to demonstrate here every Friday at the Parliament House. So that was our main goal. But of course, at the same time, we wanted to make major changes on support our educational system and, and uh, educational resources for education. Of course, resources for the environment. We uh, negotiated 100 million euros more for the nature protection, which is, uh, mm -hmm. I have been sometimes Minister for Environment. And, you know, if you get got 1 million, you were happy. And now 100 million mm -hmm. is something that you really change the part of the nature conservation in Finland. And of course, we wanted to uh, makes some increase to our development cooperation funding and we wanted to increase our quota for refugees. So these were this type of issues, many others as well, were negotiated and we were successful. So we decided with our 20 members of the parliament join this, this government. And we have three ministerial seats. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone that we talked to so far mentioned, of course, that fighting the climate crisis is the highest priority of every Greens in government and that you really have to sometimes struggle with your coalition partners to push through as much as possible. And I also really like that you mentioned the movement, which is a big support for us in this, also for the Greens and especially for the Greens in government. Um, yeah, so now a few years into this legislation, where do we stand? What are the successes? What did you manage to achieve already? Well, I think on the climate issue, we are more or less on the on the track but of course uh, we at the same time have to admit that many many issues have been a little bit postponed because of the covid crisis and because of the war in in ukraine and then some other issues come to the table my first challenge was to get the Finnish kids out from the Alhol camp in Syria and i have to say that it was a big fight it it was something that we were not prepared in uh, government negotiations to to address and then you know in my desk at the ministry there was the question what do we do with the 30 kids underage minor kids in Syria in in the the, the hands of the Syrian Kurdistan uh, uh, gov government or or administration and it was very difficult to negotiate these people back to get them back to get the contacts and so forth and of course then to face also the criticism that why kids Mm -hmm. are bought from the ISIS areas to, to Finland, but these were Finnish citizens. And the other issue that was, of course, very much linked to the human rights was the fall of the government in Kabul, Kabul the Afghanistan government, because we, we got this kind of immediate evacuation needs, not only for Finnish people who have been working there, but human rights activists and, 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 and citizens who have been also working for Finland. And I, I have to say that at the last moment, we got people out from the Kabul airport and, and this type of issues mm -hmm occupied quite a lot of the working time also for the foreign minister. Yeah, yeah. you mentioned already also your responsibility, the challenges in the foreign affairs. Um, of course, I think the whole Green family uh, learned about the paradigm shift to join NATO. Maybe you can talk about this a little bit, how it came about and what role you played in this. 
Well, it's interesting, of course, that uh, in February, 24th of February, when, when the Russian attack against Ukraine happened, actually, it, the Finnish opinion on the, the Finnish citizens' opinion on the NATO membership changed in one night. And it, it changed also because we looked the loose rhetoric of the uh, Russian leadership, President Putin, about the nuclear weapons, even chemical weapons, unconventional weapons. And the Finnish people asked, uh, we have a quite strong military, we have uh, 300,000 people in reserve and, and we have an obligatory military service still in Finland. But people asked, what do we do if we are threatened by unconventional weapons? Where do we get help? How do we cooperate and so forth? And I think that was then a very rapid decision by our government at the same time start to support militarily by, by arms Ukraine and then to apply for the NATO membership. And we also a little bit influenced to Sweden on this matter. It was a very hectic weeks. I called to the Swedish foreign minister and she said, well, well, we have been neutral for 200 years. You know, we cannot change this in one night and then a couple of weeks afterwards, actually, the ball started to roll also in Sweden and then we made the application together. And the Greens, as, as many other parties, were very intensively discussing this issue, but at the same time coming to the conclusion that, that we have to take care of our defence as well. And it's the Green responsibility as responsible for any other, other people and political parties in Finland. Yeah, so you mentioned it a little bit. Maybe you can explain a little bit more how it... <laughs> is for you personally to be a, in charge of foreign affairs in this challenging time as a green politician? Well, of course, it has uh, it has been extremely interesting times, I have to say, but many issues that we we couldn't expect happens. The, the, really, the, the Finnish kids in Syria, the fall of government in Kabul, the uh, COVID-19, which also included a lot of evacuations of the Finnish citizens who are around the world and, and cannot come home. And, and then uh, finally the Russian, well, even the, the Belarus action against Poland and, and uh, hijacking the plane and so forth. And then finally the Russian aggression against Ukraine. So it has been, I have to say that I, I'm sleeping very well personally, but but of course there have been a couple of moments that have been bringing a little, little bit more uh, gray hair when you, when you think the negative possibilities and you think what can happen. For example, when Russia started to attack Ukraine, of course, during the first days, we were very concerned if Ukraine is capable to defend themselves, how strong military attack will be against the capital, Kiev, and is Russia somehow capable to sideline the government in Kiev, and what that would mean for the European security. And of course, one issue has been that as a European Union minister, I've had a very good network to, to my European colleagues and, and of course now to Annalena Baerbock, the German Greens and so forth. So whatever happens, like the uh, recent missile incident in Poland, you know, in the night I call to uh, Polish minister, then I call to Annalena, then I call to my Nordic colleagues and my Baltic colleagues and so forth to, to get the first reactions from them as well and a little bit share the information and what we have been thinking and what they have been thinking. I think this European foreign minister's network is working very well. Mm. Yeah, the Greens are very united, as you said, in solidarity for Ukraine. And I would be very interested in hearing a little bit more how your work changed with Annalena in office, because now you're two, which is not one. <laughs> well, it's it was, of course, a, a, a very good issue that, that in the European Foreign Affairs Council, suddenly you, you have an other green minister and you can a little bit uh, 
brainstorm how to how to react to different proposals and so forth. And of course, German support also to Ukraine has been very strong, and, and Anna Lena's personal role has been very important for the, in the Foreign Affairs Council. And I think I think it's uh, even we are uh, even if we are not party politicians, of course, in the Foreign Affairs Council, we are representing the positions of our countries, but we can we can influence to the direction which is also important for the Greens to increase solidarity for Ukraine and, and find new ways to support Ukraine, not only uh, in humanitarian uh, help, but also development cooperation and, and, of course, military help to, to Ukraine. I think that has been very important. Mm. And how would you describe the common challenges that you are currently facing that are ahead of us? Well, I think uh, here in the European Green Congress people stopped me and asked, so what are the possibilities for the peace? Because I, I have been, my, my past is very much in taking part of the peace processes. And I say, well, we discuss also peace all the time we, we, with the colleagues. We, we look the options, whether it's Ethiopia or Yemen or Ukraine, we, we look the options, we discuss about the options, of course, not always so much publicly, but also looking the possibilities, what could be the conditions in different circumstances for the peace and who, who would be possible mediators in different conflicts, who would be the guarantors of peace, what kind of peacekeeping missions would be needed and so forth. And it's very important task also. And, and, and we are of course following areas also like Western Balkans, another area in the Europe, which is in, in the heart of Europe in many ways. And I just, Uh, just discussed some days ago with the foreign minister from Bosnia Herzegovina, for example, and and, and the, the issue that what more European Union could do in the case of Bosnia Herzegovina. And I think it's it's even if one conflict like the Russian aggression against Ukraine is is taking all the publicity, it's very important that we talk about Yemen, we talk about Afghanistan, we talk about uh, Ethiopia, and also influence to those situations. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned unfortunately many crises that also create a lot of insecurities among yeah everyone i think um, i really like that in your keynote speech you mentioned also positive outlook and successes and things that not everyone notices because they don't make headlines but maybe you can repeat some of them well yes in, in finland people are asking from the diplomats and sometimes from the minister that why we are paying your salary if you are not doing your diplomatic work and try to solve the conflicts also and then i, I, have, I have been mentioning that For example, in the in the terrible attack, uh, Russian attack against Ukraine, there are maybe some small lights in the end of the tunnel. One has been this grain trade deal that, uh, uh, because the the conflict was was really causing a miserable situation on the food security in many countries, uh, United Nations and with the help of Turkey negotiated this grain trade deal, and, and there has been now 120 days continuation for that. So that's already something. Then there has been the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Organization, involvement in Saporitsa. And I personally have been really shocked about the happenings around Saporitsa because there are civilian nuclear power plants in the middle of fighting. And, and IAEA and its leader, Mr. Grossi, has done excellent work, you know, just pushing themselves to the region and, and, and visiting the place and, and trying to put some discipline to the parties on, on nuclear safety issues. And then finally, uh, issue that we... It's not really hitting the headlines is, is the exchange of the prisoners that is ongoing. I was just in Kiev and discussed with uh, President Zelensky and with Foreign Minister Kuleba and, and both mentioned that this exchange of prisoners is ongoing between Russia and Ukraine. And that that gives some hope that some at least minor contacts between the parties exist. And, and on this kind of 
contacts and in this kind of, I would say, minimum trust building, you can one day probably build them more when, when the time comes. Perfect. And I would actually like to end this podcast with this uh, notion of hope and positive outlook. And thank you very much for joining us today and giving us your insights. And I hope you can enjoy the rest of uh, the exchanges here in Copenhagen. Thank you. And it was good talking to you and, and, and really good atmosphere here in Copenhagen. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.